Well, it's all about a positive attitude that keeps you well, or it helps you overcome simply because it gives you confidence that says, I'm going to make it. So let's find something to be grateful for. It's the little things that you think of that help you to be grateful. I have what I call my gratitude jar. And what it is, is they're tiny slips of paper that I've written reasons to be grateful on one a day. And when I feel discouraged, I'm trying to find a reason to be grateful. I open up one of them and it's inspiring. Just that is inspiring. So when you take it upon yourself to think about reasons to be grateful, it does something to you. UC Health presents the Every Podcast series, The Attitude of Gratitude. We're taking our signature wellness event, Every, which was created with the goal of providing inspiration for every woman and bringing that content to every woman via podcast. We'll speak with special guests and top experts on issues like nutrition and exercise, work-life harmony, insomnia. If you are a woman going through it, I am talking about it here on the Every Woman's Podcast. Who am I? Your host, Gloria Neal. I've had many jobs in this life. I'm currently the Director of Public Affairs in the city and county of Denver, but I have certainly loved radio and TV and broadcast my entire life. But this uses all the tools in my tool belt. So we are here to help you live your best life physically and emotionally. You know, life is full of challenges and feeling grateful at the best of times can be pretty difficult. Denise, who you just heard from, survived COVID against the odds. Back in March of 2020, she thought she just had a bad cold Family urged her to go to the hospital and get checked. Within minutes of arriving, she collapsed. She believes what got her through that ordeal was practicing gratitude. Denise was able to focus on the little things that will make a difference, like the nurse who refused to leave her side when she felt lonely, that nurse rubbed cream on her dry skin, or she even focused on the daily progress she'd made since she left the hospital because being in recovery, it's baby steps. And no matter how small, she was grateful. So as a result, she has been able to feel hopeful towards the future. Our guest today is Rachel Slick, a licensed clinical social worker at UC Health Internal Medicine in Greeley. And Rachel works with a team of primary care doctors to provide holistic care to patients by addressing their mental and emotional health. Rachel, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So to me, Denise's attitude, Rachel, is somewhat unusual since it can be pretty tough for people to remain positive in difficult situations. Is there a connection between Denise's recovery from COVID and her positive attitude? In other words, let me put it this way. Can a positive mindset have a positive impact on our health? Absolutely. I think there is no coincidence there. There's actual science. There's research that backs this up. We have images of what happens in the brain when we release positive thoughts or when we actively practice gratitude. And we have these happy chemicals. We kind of know them as the feel-good chemicals circulating in our brain and throughout our bodies. We've probably heard of serotonin and dopamine. Those are both related to feelings of satisfaction and our sort of pleasure feelings as well. So 
when we think positive thoughts, those chemicals, we don't produce more of them. We just release them more actively. They take a little bit longer to reabsorb into our body so we get to feel better longer. So I kind of like to say until we release those chemicals, they're just sitting around in a cafe just waiting. Yes. And then once we say, hey, she's feeling good. Okay, it's our turn. We're up. Green light. Yeah, absolutely. That is good. So do you have a gratitude journal? I actively practice gratitude right now. My daily planner has a box every day for one gratitude. I practiced for a year when I was kind of first starting this on my own. Mm -hmm. And the idea of journaling felt a little bit daunting to me. A lot of therapists, myself included, recommend, have you tried journaling to express yourself? And it can feel like a big undertaking or a homework assignment. So I started really small with a list, three things every morning that I felt grateful for. And the key, I think, is that it doesn't have to be poetic or intense or beautiful. It could be simple. I'm grateful for this coffee in this mug. Or I'm grateful I woke up. You know, I'm grateful my car started. These seemingly really simple concepts. You know, and the little things that sometimes we just look past, we think it has to be grandiose. And it is simple and easy. Yes. That makes a huge difference. So mentioning that gratitude journal, you know, Denise talked about writing things down. She's grateful for one piece of paper and putting them into her gratitude jar to draw on them when she needs that boost. Is that similar to what you mean when you talk about that gratitude journal? When you write it down, do you ever go back? That was the coolest part, I think, of this year-long experiment was looking at how it progressed or what themes that were recurrent. I was constantly grateful for my health. I was actively grateful for my family's health. There were a lot of repeat offenders, if you will, (laughs) that kept showing up, and it was easier to be actively grateful for those So that variation that Denise did sounds like a way that she kind of set up her future self, too, which is a cool thought. If you're having a great day, it's easier to kind of brainstorm those obvious things that you feel grateful for. Right. Knowing that you might have a less than great day up ahead and you might need some help coming up with those ideas. And you've already kind of set them up. And that does kind of put it in perspective and it makes it less daunting because it's like, oh, gosh, one more thing. One a day or three a day versus having to write in a journal. We're not writing an essay. You know, it's something really tangible and manageable. Right. I laugh only because it is so true. I'm hearing you in my brain. (laughs) Because we can feel good about one part of our life, but bad about another part of our life. So I get how it's important to, you know, challenge yourself, to try and find positive things in areas we feel less good about. Like, for example, maybe you feel very confident about your job, but bad about your body. Can every woman relate to something like that? So when practicing gratitude, we need to force ourselves to find things about our bodies that we appreciate. I had one woman who said this to me and just out of the blue, she said, I am obese. I have been obese pretty much all of my adult life. She said, but when I take off my clothes, I can look at this part of my skin and say, I like that. I like my belly button. I like this. I I like how my throat goes. And I thought that was so simply beautiful Mm -hmm. because she can find with all that society is telling her about her overall appearance, she's found ways to say, you know what? I love this about me, even if it's one simple inch. And I think that attitude of gratitude, if you will, can be a challenge, looking at something that we're told to critique constantly or never feeling adequate. So by applying gratitude to our bodies, we can appreciate more of what they do, and that helps us treat them better. Think about buying a new car. 
Nobody's allowed to eat in it. It's going to smell good. It's going to stay clean. I'm so proud of this car. I'm so grateful for this new car. I'm going to treat it so well. What if we copied and pasted that logic and said, I'm grateful for this body, this machine that's doing all of these involuntary systems second to second without me telling it to. I'm so grateful for that. I want to drink more water. I want to feed it well. I want to move my body. I want to celebrate my body. That car analogy really does put it in perspective because we don't do that enough if we do it at all. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it. So, yes, we women do tend to be not only hard, very hard on ourselves. And I wonder, part of women being hard on themselves is this idea that you should just be grateful for what you have and you shouldn't complain. And it kind of negates the validity of what you are feeling. Would you say there is a danger in practicing gratitude that women may negate what they are feeling and instead try to just find the gratefulness and positivity and brush aside their feelings? Yes, I almost wanted to snap for you because that was such an important thing to point out is the pressure of positive thinking. You should have snapped. Snaps for you. That was great. (laughs) The power of positive thinking is this thing that's out there, and it's true, and it's evidence-based. I said it myself. There's research. But sometimes we almost end up feeling worse when we have a hard time reaching that positive mark. If it is a day when we have heavy feelings and intense emotions, we force positivity and we kind of feel like we fall short of that, it could feel worse. So absolutely feel grateful for things without invalidating yourself and and almost be grateful for that. Like I have an emotion other than happy right now. And that's just as permissible as feeling like a Disney princess, right? right. <laughs> I'm allowed to feel sad for a moment and be grateful. Those two things can coexist just because you have everything you need doesn't mean you're not allowed to have those other emotions. And I have so many patients that sit in my office and negate their validity on my couch saying, why am I even here? So many people have it worse than me. Right. And I love that. I think that's beautiful empathy and perspective and gratitude. They're grateful for what they have. But I tell them that's like saying I'm not allowed to have a good day because somebody somewhere is having a better day. That's not fair. That's not how that works. No, no. Have your feelings. But that is very powerful because we do. I do that where you're thinking, what do you have to complain about? It's like, well, hold on. I shouldn't negate what I'm truly feeling because someone else is worse off than me or better off than me, depending on the emotions. There is validity in what we are feeling and how we can deal with it. I've had to say, well, gosh, here we go. Don't roll in it. Don't, you know, Mm -hmm. not looking to roll in it, but making sure that I give myself that compassion. Yes. Isn't that just as important? Absolutely. And if we act like those not-so-fun emotions like sadness, anger, fear, if we act like those aren't real, they show back up. If we don't give them the time that they want, they show back up louder and more intense. Like a relative at Thanksgiving. Right. And with health (laughs) impacts, right? right. We're allowed to pay attention to those and acknowledge that they exist without rolling in them, like you said. And letting them be temporary and then kind of moving through them instead of oppressing them and acting like we don't feel those ever. Exactly. Because that's not being real. So being that that is true, it is so important to value both the ups and the downs. So to me, in many ways, it is about allowing yourself to kind of feel things, have those sad days, but keeping those sad days in perspective. Coming up, I think all of those things we will continue to talk about and also I want to talk about how we can help 
others when it comes to having trouble with feeling positive, the guilt around all of this positivity and having individuals in your life who tend to drag you down into a place that really is not very beneficial, maybe negative. It just may be a place you don't want to go. How do you deal with that? We're going to take a break. We'll talk on the other side. When I was in middle school and high school, I babysat a little girl with cystic fibrosis. And with cystic fibrosis, you know there's always a chance that they're going to need a lung transplant. And so her name was Jessie. And when she was 19 years old, she needed a lung transplant in order to survive. And she was there for two weeks maybe and knew that if she did not get that transplant, she was not going to live. And unfortunately, she did not get the lungs that she needed. So she passed away at the age of 19. And I just remember thinking, how could somebody so vibrant and full of life, how could there not be lungs for her? I just didn't understand how there just wasn't anybody available. So I decided then that I would make sure that on my license, I was a donor and that if anybody ever needed something from me, I would jump at the chance. Ooh, that is powerful. Welcome back. You know, Jennifer went on to become a live organ donor, not just once, but twice. After her experience, she knew that she wanted to donate an organ, and she finally got her chance in 2017 when she matched with a man in Ohio who she gave a kidney to. Now, that experience was so positive for her that she wanted to donate other organs and another organ. And so in 2019, she matched to a baby boy and donated part of her liver. Part of Jennifer's reason for making this generous gift was her sense of gratitude toward her own health and life. However, Jennifer is quick to stress that organ donation is absolutely not for everyone, but that there was something in her journey that made her feel so strongly about it. Well, my guest today is Rachel Slick, and we were talking before the break about this whole attitude of gratitude. And Rachel is a licensed clinical social worker. And so I've heard there is a connection between empathy and giving back and happiness, since one of the things it does is help you get perspective with your own problems. But presumably, Rachel, we don't have to donate an organ to get perspective. That's just one way. She chose to do it that way. But what do you say about that? I think that's one of the more altruistic ways to go about that. So selfless. Mm -hmm. I think that any form of community is going to increase that sort of empathy, recognizing that we are kind of on a team. And we mentioned this in our previous episode about the importance of social connection and looking at how can we do this together stronger and not having to go at it alone. So the more involved we are socially in this sort of community sense, the more likely we are to kind of help each other out, also promoting health and benefits. So looking at things like doing things together, not doing them alone, especially looking at gratitude. It's kind of, like we said before, a daunting undertaking to just start practicing gratitude right now in this minute. So maybe we're not putting it off because we're lazy about it, but we're lonely about it. How do I do this by myself? 
So a quick idea is to recruit kind of a gratitude buddy or an accountability buddy. Maybe it's a group chat that you already have. Maybe that list we talked about, one, two, three, I'm grateful every morning. Mm -hmm. Maybe you send that in the group chat and then you can read each other's contributions. And maybe your friend has something she's grateful for that you hadn't thought of yet. And that can just amplify that gratitude that you're sharing. And, you know, when you have something that powerful in your life, a 19-year-old losing her life because there were not organs there to give her a longer life, I can't help but think it changes you because 19, you think about all the things she did not get a chance to do, and you think about how small that makes your problems. Mm. It doesn't negate them. But it makes them like you are breathing air. You might be having a bad day. I can even remember when my mother passed and I remember looking out the window in her hospital bed and she was laying there in her bed deceased. And I remembered, stop. The world should stop. This woman has died. And it's like, that's not how this works. Mm -hmm. That's not how this works. And having to find the gratitude in you got to see her take her last breath and she was holding your hand. The beauty of that moment was lost on me for a long time. But understanding how that changed my life and shows up in positive ways, I believe that's why the fortune of me being right there, the baby girl being with her mother and understanding, seeing that happen, powerful. Took a long time to even say that without bursting into tears, but I can't help but imagine something like that will propel you into being an organ donor, because I am one. And having that perspective, recognizing, yes, it could be worse, right? We don't want to invalidate, but we also recognize that perspective where my lungs inflate and my fingers move and I wake up every morning. Absolutely. Very powerful. So what are some of the ways to practice gratitude when you are having a hard, stressful day? Because I'm going to tell you, and you struck me as the kind of person, when you're having a hard, stressful day and somebody says, now, Rachel, remember your gratitude, I'm thinking there are probably some superlatives that come out of your mouth. <laughs> Yes. Like, let me just go grab my journal. (laughs) How do you do it? It is tough. I vote starting with neutrality, right? Like I said, there's that pressure of positive thinking all the time. So if you're kind of in this negative thinking rut throughout your day, maybe you remove that pressure to just turn it around, switch the narrative and think positive thoughts. That seems impossible sometimes. So if you move towards neutral It'll get you out of that negative rut without feeling like you're inadequate in terms of positive thinking. So making observations, starting really small, like, oh, look, that person cut me off in traffic. That's not celebratory. Right. (laughs) But we're also not trying to be super negative about it or just trying to kind of notice things. Today was a stressful day. That's the statement, right? Just making these neutral observations without feeling like you have to turn it around. Thank God I have a job, though. You know, like sometimes... That's tough to get to. It is. It is, especially when the folks on the job are working your nerves. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it is the truth. Right. And controlling what we can, looking at, yeah, I don't have the most positive outlook right now, but I'm going to go through the right motions. I'm still going to feed myself. I'm still going to drink water. I'm still going to hug my family. And just doing those simple behaviors can change the cognitive patterns as well. Now, you have an acronym, STOP. What does that mean as it relates to gratitude? Good question. So stop is just what it sounds like. It's kind of a pause button. And it's for those days where maybe you feel overwhelmed and you can't really get your feet under you. So the first letter, S, 
is stop. (laughs) Stop what you're doing. Take a physical pause, pull back from your computer and stop what you're doing. The T is for take a breath. I wouldn't be a therapist if I didn't tell you to take a deep breath, right? That's what we do. Take that deep breath. When was the last time you stopped and took a breath? Those two steps alone are important. The O is for observe. And we want to scan our body, kind of check in. I say go for a walk upstairs, walk around your brain a little bit, kind of see what's sticking, what's getting on your nerves, what's weighing on you. Mm. Check in with your body too. Where are you holding on to tension? Your jaw, your neck, your shoulders, Maybe you're making fists or clenching your toes and you don't even recognize it. So you've stopped, taken a breath, observed, and the P is proceed with purpose. This is your action item. What do I do to mitigate what I found when I was kind of observing in that previous step? Right, because to your point, when you've checked in, your stomach's like, we've been growling for two hours. And then the other part, you know, you do need to go to the bathroom. And your knee is like, oh my gosh, could you stretch me? Because I'm feeling like the Tin Man here. Exactly, yes. All of that. Yep. So your P step, proceed with purpose. That's when you might need to go for your walk or drink something other than coffee for once or (laughs) get up and use the restroom. And if you can't tangibly do any of those things in the moment, maybe you're stuck at your desk. Maybe you've got a meeting. What can you do? Can you make a list? Can you kind of give yourself grace for an hour? What sort of abstract action can you take for yourself before you can go for that walk? I love that. Because I am going to stop and employ each one of those STOP, one of those letters, because you're right. By the time you think about it, it's 8 o'clock at night, and you've killed your whole day by saying, I'm going to do just one more thing. And I have not put my own oxygen mask on. And then you come out, and you're thinking, okay, hey, let's talk. And he's like, no, 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 I'm watching TV. What? Right. Or if you live by yourself, you're thinking, okay, now what? It has to be more than just work or computer or There's a purpose to this. Absolutely. And I like the stop method because it doesn't take that long, maybe 90 seconds if you kind of breeze through it. And it's important for you to check in with yourself and meet your basic needs before you can continue taking care of others. So it's kind of like mothers following toddlers around, like, (laughs) have you eaten? Do you need a nap? When was the diaper change? It's almost like you're turning those questions inward. When was the last time I ate something? Do I need to take a shower? Like you right. not, you deserve to ask yourself those questions too. Right, you do. It's so interesting. But both Denise and Jennifer talked about focusing on small things and looking towards the future. They don't allow themselves to get bogged down by things. So here is the deal, because if you're not naturally wired that way or haven't been taught to do that, how can we be retooled, especially as women? So challenging sort of these patterns that we've been forming over years, right? I think a combination of two of those ideas, the community and reaching out for that accountability buddy or a group chat, and also the idea of neutrality. And like I said, removing that pressure to always have the Disney princess thoughts and to be singing everywhere we go. That's a, <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. It is. <laughs> and it's not realistic. And sometimes it almost feels like a facade, like we're wearing the positive mask all day. Nobody's that happy. Right. You start thinking, okay, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. either that or something else is going on. But it becomes this facade or, as we say, fake. Yeah. You need to feel what you're feeling, but which file do you put it in? Right. What do you do with it? I think there's power in authenticity and letting yourself have those feelings. I always say that emotions are not dashboard lights. So when something comes up on our car, we have to fix it. We got to take it in. There's something wrong. When an emotion comes up for us, it doesn't necessarily mean we have to fix it. When we feel 
scared, we feel like we have to do something with that. Or when we feel sad, we feel like we have to think happy thoughts. When really those serve a purpose just like feeling happy and they're just as fleeting. Right. They will pass. So that gratitude buddy or that group chat, all of those things can help when it comes to finding those three things or even just finding a thing to be grateful for and being able to share it. I think a lot of times when I'm sharing what I'm grateful for, it makes me feel more whole because nine times out of 10, that woman is saying, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I'm feeling this way too. And it helps validate what you are feeling and not feel like, oh gosh, I need therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And therapy validates you too. (laughs) That's true. And touch on that a little bit because I will tell you a lot of times folks are like, "Mm -mm, I'm not going to therapy, especially black folks. Let me just put it on out there. I know that's a secret, but I just told it. (laughs) So you know Mm -hmm. what, people, I need y'all just to back up because strength comes from being vulnerable, saying I need help. Mm What do you say to folks who are apprehensive about even seeking out help, especially after a year like we've just had with a pandemic? Sure. I say I don't blame you. It's a weird concept to sit in a room with a stranger and talk about personal things. It's also a little bit safer than talking to people you know about personal things. So valuing that sacred space, I know this all sounds so cheesy because it is, (laughs) it's confidential. Legally, that person can't share anything about you. And you know that they're going to be on your team and maybe give you some tough love. But for the most part, they'll make you feel like you're not crazy. And I think that's the biggest epiphany that I watch my patients experience when they've been on the fence about coming in. I thought I had to be crazy to see a therapist. And you've actually made me feel like I'm pretty valid. And I'm not the only one with these thoughts and feelings. Yeah, that does. It validates. It is my job and my honor to guide people to their conclusions that they probably already know. Right. But they haven't said out loud yet. And it is so powerful to be those ears when somebody says something out loud for the first time. And you deserve a safe space. And that's kind of what I say about therapy is that you have some biases in your life. Everyone in your life is going to be on your team or not. And they're either going to say, are you kidding me or leave him or stay with him or whatever the scenario is. And you can trust that when you express those things, ideally, your therapist doesn't really express the right way, the wrong way. They they don't really give you that direction because you already know. Right. And that really is the truth. Getting them to see you already know the answer. Mm hmm. You just don't want to either face that or you need it validated or you're just needing to hear it out loud. You need to believe in yourself. Mm. Ooh, honey, Rachel for president. (laughs) (laughs) 2020 when? That's right. (laughs) Really, I am telling you, that is so very key. Give yourself the permission you need to move forward. Anybody who's on your team, come on with me. Anybody who's not, it's been great. And being grateful for those connections, actively grateful. In a group chat I was part of throughout our first shutdown, we'd be grateful for each other sometimes. And that just cultivated and nurtured those relationships. And expressing that to each other can only yield positive things. Absolutely. So here is another example. You think about the importance of self-care, because I know you've talked about, and quite frankly, self-care has been our theme Throughout, that's the reason for all of these Every Woman podcasts, because it's about self-care and gratitude and good health and nutrition and dealing with all the things we have to deal with. And as I said earlier, we are just touching the tip of the iceberg with some of these. If, by the way, because I know you're listening and you love it and I'm so glad that you do, you have 
questions or suggestions or anything that you want to add, you know you can do that. UChealth.org forward slash every, and that's E-V-R-E. You think about this, Rachel. You take the time. I take the time. Women take the time to be good to ourselves. We are better able really to feel grounded. We're better able to support one another. As you mentioned, we are connected. We feel that connection because I think if the universe wanted us to not need people, we would each have our own little planet. So we're here together for a reason, which can then lead to feeling more positive about life in general overall. It doesn't just stop with you. Right. So there's a, a cute little saying that says, if you share your joy, it doubles. And if you share your pain, it halves. Oh, mm-hmm. what does that mean? So if you share your joy, you get to celebrate with the people around you, the people who are on your team, and they are going to carry that and maybe encourage them to share their own, et cetera, et cetera, kind of starting this positive domino effect. And if you share your pain rather than kind of keeping that in, you can feel validated. You can feel together. You can feel supported And it kind of cuts that in half. So it's not a true math formula because I don't do those. (laughs) But the concept is important. Share your joy, multiply it, share your pain, and decrease it. Wow. That's good. I bet you are a phenomenal therapist. Thank you. You know what, Rachel? If there was one phrase or one thought that you wanted to leave the listener with, it is what? I would say that self-care is not selfish. It is necessary. Yeah, it is. It is necessary like air. And I think it's kind of glamorized. We see these magazine articles about self-care telling you to go get your nails done or something, and that's not harmful. Right. And it's just not really sustainable, right? So what about the self-care in the moment where you are overwhelmed at work? A mani-pedi is not an option. I can't just go to the mountains or Miami or what have you. (laughs) Right. Take a bubble bath. Like, those are good ideas. Those are treat yourself moments. But what about those basic, basic needs? I need need a break from work. I need to drink some water, X, Y, Z. So I love reframing the idea of self-care as these really boring, basic things that we do to keep our children alive, our houseplants. We (laughs) need to drink water. We need food, movement, sun, and social connection. We need enough sleep. To me, that's self-care. Right. It's less bubble bath and it's more super boring basics. <laughs> but it's those basics that sustain us. Mm-hmm. It is not going shopping. I mean, you hit it on the head. I can't really go shopping. Can't afford it. Number one, and that creates another stressor. Bills. I love your attitude and the succinct and simplistic way that you put it so that every person can grapple with it and really grab a hold of it. So here are the five takeaways. Number one is write down one to two things you're grateful for each day in a notebook or in a journal, and it could be something you do every morning or every night. Two, do not put pressure on yourself to always be positive. Let me say that again. Stop putting pressure on yourself to be positive. It is important to allow yourself the downs as well as the ups, to feel it all. Number three is practice the stop technique to ground yourself when you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed. Stop, S-T-O-P. Stop what you're doing, take a deep breath, observe what's going on inside you. Remember Rachel said like that toddler, hey, are you wet? Do you need some food? Do I need to burp you? Do that internally. Are you hungry? Do you need to take a bathroom break? Do you need to go for a walk? All those things. And then proceed with 
purpose. Take care of all of your needs before you take care of someone else's. Number four is remind yourself that the hard times, honey, they don't last always. And you focus on the improvements or even the wins, however small, instead of focusing on the challenges and the hardships because they are going to be there. And number five is make time for self-care by doing something that you love. Self-care is not selfish. You are wonderful. You have definitely picked the right profession. Thank you. You are very welcome. So here is the deal, because I know you want to follow up on today's episode. You can check out our show notes at uchealth.org forward slash every. That's E-V-R-E. And if you want to find out more about today's expert, you can visit uchealth.org. Thank you for joining us. Please do not forget to subscribe, rate, and even review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and iHeartRadio Podcast. To find out more about our subject today, you can also visit us at uchealth.org forward slash every. Every is produced by UC Health. Until next time, take care.